It's a Mailbag Monday. We've got your questions about Grayson Rodriguez versus Yuri Perez and much more. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. And as we do every Monday, entire show is solely from your questions. So let's get after it. First question comes from Greenlight on YouTube. And I don't typically read the questions verbatim, but I want to do that here because I think that there's two different questions being asked. So short version of my question is, why isn't Grayson Rodriguez rated higher? This was a comment left in response to the Fangraph Top 100 show we did last week, where Yuri Perez was named their number one pitching prospect. So the short in the short version, the answer is Yuri, uh, Grayson Rodriguez is either the number one or number two pitching prospect among everybody that's reputable. Baseball America has him number four overall and number one pitcher. MLB Pipeline has him at number four overall and number one pitcher. Fangraphs has him at number seven overall and number two pitcher. But I think the longer version of the question kind of illuminates a bigger conversation here. So here's the long version. According to Fangraphs, Yuri Perez has a 70 fastball, 60 slider, 60 changeup, and 50 curveball. While Rodriguez has a 70 fastball, 70 slider, 80 changeup, 60 curveball, 60 cutter. And the command difference is 70 versus 50 in favor of Perez, with the future value being 65 versus 60 in favor of Perez. Is control and command that important? It isn't like Rodriguez is walking people left and right in the minors. Does his arsenal mean nothing? Even in MLB Pipeline, where they give Rodriguez a 60 control, he's only a 60 overall, despite his pitches also being rated very highly there. What am I missing? It feels like there's something pretty important I'm not getting. So thank you for the question. Very good question. A lot of layers here. A couple things to think about when you're looking at these pitchers is when you get this high in the rankings, you're really splitting hairs. And one of the things that I think a lot of us on this side who are consuming these scouting reports and these rankings forget about, and I'm guilty of this as well, is different people may be assigned to different players within the same ranking. So the person that saw Grayson Rodriguez and graded Grayson Rodriguez for fan graphs, who went in person and scouted him and wrote the report, may legitimately think he is the number one pitching prospect in baseball, but the person that assembled the ranking or whoever had final edits say thought Yuri Perez was. So possibility there, something we don't always talk about. And I think that we kind of, as uh, consumers of prospect rankings, I think we forget sometimes. Uh, This show's probably the only place where you'll find rankings that are done solely by one person. And you can tell because I get things wrong. Uh, the, The second part of it is both these guys missed time with injury, right? But Grayson Rodriguez missed more time and had a more severe outing. So uh, he only got 69 and two-thirds innings in AAA this year. Now, 
very, very good in 14 games, 69 and two-thirds innings, 220 ERA with 97 strikeouts to 21 walks and only gave up two home runs. So very good 14 games in AAA, but only got 14 games. And specifically, missed a lot of time late in the season as people were assembling the rankings, as people were figuring out the end-of-season re-rates, uh, where to put everybody. So I can, I can understand it being a little bit lower because you didn't get that last chance to evaluate a guy in person. And so usually, like for me personally, when I have a tie between two players, I'll default to, well, who did I get an in-person look at and who am I relying on other people's views for? Uh, or who did I get more, more in-person looks at and I feel more confident about the projection I've put on them and the grade I've put on them. So I think that's possible as well. You're right in that the weapons for Grayson Rodriguez are fantastic. So uh, fast, like I have the fastball in the slider as both a 70 grade. Uh, I have the, the the change up up there with it as well. I have it as a 70 grade simply because I don't give out a ton of 80 grades. But the fastball sits mid to high 90s. It's got elite levels of spin. He can put the fastball anywhere that he wants to. Any four. Like any corner of the plate, righty, lefty, doesn't matter. Uh, the slider, a lot of late movement, and I like how he can manipulate it. He can change small things about his grip or the way he throws it to give it a slightly different movement profile based on uh, you know, who he's facing, a lefty versus a rider or a fastball hitter versus a breaking ball hitter, things like that. The changeup, I do have it as a very, very good changeup. It kind of has like a screwball action to it, and and... He gets swings and misses on it against both lefties and righties. Uh, the the curveball is, I think it's above average to plus. It's it's somewhere in there. It's not plus yet, but it could get there. Uh, he was he's been throwing it harder the last year and a half or so. Uh, the cutter, I think, is above average as well right now. And then the frame, obviously, he's got he's got durability. He's got the size. Uh, the delivery is very repeatable. I, know, I like everything about Grayson Rodriguez. I think his command is plus. I think it's a 60-grade plus, or 60-grade command for me. Uh, I think one of the, the, the other factors is the Marlins have more of a reputation for developing pitchers than Baltimore does. And so, same time, if you have a tie between two players... I think the default is, well, look at the organization that they're in and the track record that organization has of, of developing pitchers. Now, I don't necessarily think that it's warranted to rate Miami maybe over Baltimore. I think what Baltimore's done to revamp the pitching, uh, the, the pitching development since 2019 has been significantly underrated and something we need to talk about more. Uh, they brought in Chris Holt as director of pitching. He had been with Houston before this. Uh, they were working with the Wake Forest Pitching Lab. We've talked about them on the show in the past uh, to do all of the biomechanical assessments. They've built their own pitching lab now. So MedStar Health, uh, that's in Bel Air, Maryland. It is around the corner from Delmarva. It is 20 minutes away from Bowie. It is just outside Camden Yards. Uh, you know, short drive. They have a whole bio, like a pitching lab there. So they've got motion capture cameras. The the marker list. You don't have to have the balls on your, like the little plastic balls on you. The camera can just watch you and pick it up. 
Uh, they've got TrackMan. They've got force plates, like multiple force plates to come down on to measure everything. And then everything but the force plates is portable. And so they're building a replica of this lab at the spring training facility in Florida. And the idea is they can get every player in spring training, they can do an initial assessment, figure out where the player is, and then depending on the development, every four to eight weeks, bring them back either in Florida or in Baltimore, or technically Bel Air, and reevaluate them to see are they improving on what we want them to improve on? Are they... Are they developing the way we want them to develop? Are they fixing the things we want them to fix? Are they optimizing their delivery? If something went wrong, can we go back and figure out where it is? So love what Baltimore's doing. I honestly think Baltimore deserves to be in that top tier as far as organizations that can develop pitching. But obviously, you're going to have to see more of it at the big league level before people start acknowledging them as as one of those top-tier teams at developing pitchers. It's not just enough to see what John means and said, hey, we're good. We have to see more of it at the big league level. I think Grayson Rodriguez is going to be one of those guys where you're going to say, okay, obviously it's not just the player. It's also the development and getting getting these guys ready to pitch and getting them in the most optimal physical condition, biomechanical setup and everything. In just a minute, I want to get to... Uh, some questions about the Oakland A's that came out of last week's Farm Friday. If you haven't if you haven't heard it, it's on all of our feeds uh, from last Friday. We went through the entire farm system. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Simply Safe. So I have Simply Safe in my own home. This is something where, like the numbers don't lie. In the last decade, over four million people have chosen Simply Safe home security. Uh, to protect their home. And you don't earn the trust of that many people without doing something right. Uh, they protect you with cutting-edge security technology powered by 24-7 professional monitoring agents who always have your back. So I love it because the, the cutting-edge security technology, the professional monitoring agents, they all mean you get service that's different from a typical alarm company. I have a house with three different entries between in the garage, front door, back door, and then I have a walkout basement. Uh, every door is wired. I have cameras and, you know, facing all of the doorways and doorbell camera and everything. And I had a day where the back door, it's double doors, the back door broke. Like a piece literally fell out of the door and the door opened. Not great, I know. But I got a call from Simply Safe and the, the, the monitoring agent called on the number that I had saved. So I knew it was Simply Safe. And they said, your alarm is going off. It's the basement door. We don't, we haven't seen anybody go in the house. Something popped off the door and then it swung open. We can see out the door. There was nobody there. We think, do you want us to call the police or not? And I told them, no, I think it's fine. I drove home, fixed the door, closed the door, uh, made sure it was going to stay shut. And I didn't have to worry about the police being called to my house. But Simply Safe used their advanced response technology to visually confirm that there was not a break-in in my home, so I didn't need high-priority police dispatch. I could just go home and take care of it myself. So, if you want all of this technology and you want the ability to protect your home, customize the perfect system in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com/lockedonmlb. You'll get 20% off your Simply Safe security system when you sign up for an interactive monitoring plan, and you'll get the first month of monitoring free. 
That's simplysafe.com slash locked on MLB to learn more. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Okay, couple questions about the Oakland A's. And before I get into the questions, a guy that I didn't have a chance to get to on the show that I kind of regret not getting to is Lawrence Butler. So Lawrence Butler, really interesting prospect to me. Uh, 6'4", 185. He was a 2018 sixth rounder out of high school, Westlake High School in Atlanta, that same school that's produced so many big league players. And he's, depending on who you ask, he's somewhere top 10 to 15 in the system. Kind of had a breakout last year. He was a developmental prospect, a lot of strikeouts. He had great uh, power last year. I think his, his slugging was just over 500 for the year. Uh, this year backed up a bit. Now he, he missed a little bit of time, but 81 games in high A, 270, 357, 468 across 81 games with 105 strikeouts to 40 walks. So the arm injury, I think, affected him more than just uh, the time that he missed, but also at the plate. And so he's in the fall league right now. Interesting prospect because there's a lot of developmental paths here. He's got uh, plus speed fantastic raw power, but super long levers, and he's got a lot of swing and miss in the swing because of how much work he has to do to get the bat in the zone because his arms are so long and all of that. So I think, one, defensively, you can he's played first base, he's played outfield, he's played at all three outfield spots. I see him settling into a corner with a fallback of first base. He's good enough to play, play in the outfield. But on... Offense, swing and miss is the biggest issue. I mean, 105 strikeouts in 81 games, but it's not pitch discernment. He has a really, like, a relatively low percentage of swings. He's not just going up there and swinging at everything. His issue is almost entirely mechanical. He needs to simplify the swing mechanically so that he can get the bat into the zone quickly and keep it there for longer. So he's at the Arizona Fall League. He's showing off some of the plus defense, you know, and and the versatility that he has. But he's also fine-tuning the approach and the setup and the swing. And so far, as of Sunday morning, he's doing pretty good. Eight games, 292, 406, 667. Two home runs, five extra base hits, six walks to three strikeouts. So, again, very small sample size, eight games. But... Uh, the offensive changes, the swing changes that he kind of put in place while he was rehabbing and you know and later in the season this year are looking so far like they're paying off. And so he's got a ton of promise if you can fix the swing and miss. And he's always going to be one of those players that's going to strike out 20% of the time. But the goal is to keep it, you know, keep it at once a game. Keep it just over once a game. Don't let it get to where it's 105 strikeouts in 80 games. So I like Lawrence Butler. I'm excited that he's in the AFL. uh, And I want to see him put together a healthy six weeks and pitch well. John on YouTube had a couple questions about other guys in the system that we didn't have a chance to get to in the show. He gave us four names, so kind of rapid fire. Shortstop Robert Puwalson, who's a 2019 IFA He actually tied with Jason Dominguez as the biggest bonus given in that class. He got like $5 million. 
um, went to the alternate site in 2020 and then and then appeared in 2021. So he's super toolsy, right? He has a lot of physical tools. He's just incredibly raw. So his swing is very much like an uppercut swing. It doesn't spend enough time in the zone. And so he swings and misses a lot because the bat's just literally not in the zone at the same time the ball is. And when he does connect, because the ball's the bat's moving at a very steep angle, he's often hitting over the ball when he's inducing ground balls. His ground ball rate was very, very high. He's got holes on it. The defense needs work. He's got a plus arm. He's got good range because he's got good speed. But he just he has to he has to learn the muscle memory of what a professional ground ball at short looks like so that he can make the play. He has the tools. He just has to actually internalize all of that and make the play. He really struggled. He had about 55 games this year in low A Stockton because of injury. Uh, Really kind of struggled. 185, 243, 255, two home runs, 10 extra base hits, five of nine on stolen bases. I think it's something where he spent some time, he spent like 30-something games in rookie ball. I... I look for him to go back and do that again next year. Start off in rookie ball and then get more time in low A. Because again, tons of tools, super toolsy. It just hasn't quite panned out yet. Uh, Pedro Pineda, number 11 prospect in the system, 2021 IFA. Uh, Another one of those young guys who was only 18 this year. So he got 42 games at Stockton, 188, 306, 333. Four home runs, 10 extra base hits, 77 strikeouts. Just another guy, uh, plus raw power, really long swing. And so has to work on on cutting down the length of it. He did some work on it. We need to see some more. Uh, Get the swing to be shorter. He's got a plus arm. Um, He's got, I'm sorry, he's got plus speed, above average arm. I, I, I think that defensively he can stick in center field. Another guy, young, very raw, needs more time to see a big league fly ball so he can work on the reads and routes and reactions. Um, if he physically develops more, he's 6'1", 170. If he physically puts on a little bit too much weight as he's trying to add strength, he may end up having to move to a corner. Uh, but I think that he can profile and right given the power and given the arm. It's just... He has to acclimate to the big league game and simplify what he's doing with his swing. Uh, Incredibly raw, one of the higher ceilings. Both these guys have tons of power. They just have to figure it out as far as contact ability. And reminder, they're very young. Um, Paulson's 19, Pineda's 18. So they've got time to do this. Uh, Brian Buelvis, 2018 IFA, he's an outfielder. He, he needs development to find the right contact power balance. Um, it's something where he's got good power. He has contact ability, but he's, he almost sells out too much for power and racks up the strikeouts without actually getting the power. He was in high A Lansing for about 70 games, 195, 265, 352. Seven home runs, 22 extra base hits. Another guy who... He has to find the balance. I think maybe selling out for home run power isn't the best decision. When I watch him, I think I'd like him better as like a gap guy. You know, put a ball in the gap, 
Use you know use your your athleticism and your speed to take extra bases, and then when you're playing in a a hitter's park or there's a good wind behind you or you've physically matured a little bit more, there's a chance to go out there and and have more power production, but kind of aim for gap power right now, um, so that you can bring the average up and wait to see if some of the home run power develops. So I. That's kind of the issue here with Bo- with Belvis is there's no carrying tool. Everything is average to above average. Nothing is exceptional. And so if you don't hit for average, the power is not going to carry you. So don't sell out for the power. Focus on the average. Put them in the gap. And let's see if we can develop the power naturally with physical development. Uh, in just a minute, I want to get to uh, a question via email that I actually missed last week about LeVon Soto for the Angels and his big league call-up right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. And we're back. So, listener uh, Tyler McDuffie sent an email, and I missed it last week, so I apologize for that, but we're getting to it today. He asked about LeVon Soto. Um, Shortstop for the Angels, was an international free agent, actually by the Braves, and part of the Braves' international sanctions, He was given free agency and then signed by the Angels. But he asked, given his big league debut this year and kind of what he's done, does he he make the top 30 next year? I, I think he does. I have him towards the back half of the top 20 right now. The book on Levon Soto, 2016 IFA, I didn't get the year right. The book on Levon Soto has been... Great defense, can probably play multiple positions in the infield, doesn't have the foot speed to play in the outfield, and then offensively, I think his power ceiling's a bit limited. So 119 games this year in AA Rocket City, 281, 379, 362, six home runs, 24 extra base hits, 71 walks to 102 strikeouts, 18 to 26 on stolen bases. Uh, He got called up towards the end of the year, spent 18 games at the big league level playing shortstop and second base, Uh, looked very good defensively. I mean, looked the part of one of the best infield defenders in this system, but offensively as well, 400, 414, 582, one home run, seven extra base hits, two walks to 13 strikeouts, uh, one for two on stolen bases. I'm not going to say that 120 point batting average jump is sustainable. Um, but I do think that there is something to be said about moving to the big league ballpark versus the Southern League AA ballpark. We've talked about how the, the Southern League is a lot of pitcher-friendly parks. I don't have the exact park factors in front of me right now. But I do think that there is seeing what he was able to do at the big league level as far as 582 slugging, provided that some of that stays next year. If he can get that slugging up to 400, he was at 362 last year, or 2022, this year, last year. How are we calling this? Tell me in the comments, should we call this last year or this year uh, for 2022 production? If he can get the slugging up to 400, then I like him as a, or having having a chance to stick as a big league regular. He'd be a lighter hitting guy. He'd be towards the bottom of the order, but he could stick and defensively can play multiple positions. He can play 
Uh, obviously, short in second, he could play third for you. He could obviously fill in at first. Again, that's something a lot of guys can do. Not everybody, but a lot of guys can fill in at first or have done that in the past. Uh, but the whole thing here and the ultimate ceiling, the reason he's not going to be significantly higher than back half of the top 20 is because the power ceiling is still low and we don't necessarily know exactly where he's going to end up. So it's something we have to work on there. And then uh, John on YouTube had a question. I talked about Indy Rodriguez, in my mind, being the catcher of the future for the Pirates. And he said, if that's the case, what happens to Henry Davis? Very good question. I think that Henry Davis has the athleticism to play somewhere else. I don't think it's a situation where he's stuck at DH. So fantastic arm, but seeing his athleticism, seeing his speed, I legitimately think you could play Henry Davis in the outfield. I think Henry Davis um, could be something like a right fielder or a left fielder. He got two games in right field with Altoona. I think he could be at least average defensively. But with the DH role, with the physical demands on catching, there absolutely is a path to have both of them at catcher. I could see Rodriguez being your starting catcher, getting four out of every five games, you know, five games a week maybe, four games a week. I could see Davis getting a game or two behind the plate, getting two or three in the outfield, getting a DH day. So, you know, and both of these guys playing full time. Um, ultimately, having more than one catcher is a good thing because it is so hard to find good catchers, especially good catchers that have offense. And so if you have the ability to play him enough to keep him comfortable at catcher, do it. But don't be afraid to let his primary position be something else. I think about a Dalton Varsho in, in Arizona. He can play catcher. There were stretches where they needed him behind the plate for two weeks, a week and a half, three weeks, whatever, because of injury. But outside of that, he was in the outfield and put up a career year uh, splitting his time between both positions. Um, I think that Indy Rodriguez and Henry Davis, this is a good set. They're also in the system in ideal parts of the system to kind of come up, have one of them come up, debut, and then have the other join them. So you don't have to carry two veteran catchers. You could have one veteran catcher and one guy, and when he's been up enough, then call the other. So absolutely a path to have both of these guys have full-time playing time in Pittsburgh, provided Davis can... uh, expand on that two-game preview he had in right field. Fantastic week this week. We're debuting a new segment, Trade Block Thursday, where we go through and we pair up teams that have prospects with teams that have trade assets and solicit your ideas. If you have ideas on who the Rays should trade for Brown and Murphy from The Athletics, send them to me. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked On Farm. Or you can email us, LockedOnMLBProspects at gmail.com. We're getting to that on Thursday's show. We already have quite a few tweets that came in over the weekend for that. So send those in. And until we talk next time, this has been Locked On MLB Prospects. Uh-huh.